This podcast is brought to you by lineupmedia.fm. Visionary Wealth Advisors is an SEC-registered investment advisor with offices located in Colorado, Florida, Illinois, and Missouri. Investment information presented in this broadcast is for educational purposes only and should not be relied upon by any individual. It is recommended that all listeners seek individual advice from a qualified tax, legal, or investment advisor. Any reference to a market index is included for illustrative purposes only, as it is not possible to directly invest in an index. All statements and opinions expressed in this broadcast are based upon information considered to be reliable, although no express or implied warranty of accuracy is given. It is important to consider that all investments involve risk, and no investment strategy can guarantee positive results. You know, it's been said that success comes to those who wait. Belief started in the fourth grade. I believe that it's earned with the right attitude. And I had this nagging feeling. A great belief system. I was capable of so much more. An action every single day. In all the pursuits that we have in our lives, I think there's an element of suffering. When you mix that in with faith, courage, discipline, and most importantly, a vision. Never give up on yourself. That's when greatness happens. The Circuit of Success with Brett Gilliland. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I am your host, Brett Gilliland. I am the founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And this is Tim Hammett, the founder and president. Welcome. Good seeing you, partner. It's good to be here with you. I was excited today. I've uh, had a lot of these, but I know I was uh, especially excited to be hanging out with the uh, founder and president of Visionary Wealth Advisors, Tim Hammett. So we're going to talk a lot of, uh, about a lot of great stuff today, and but uh, you know where I wanted to start with, obviously on the financial planning side of things, uh, you've got a passion for what we do, you've got a story for what we do, and I thought what better way to start than maybe just kind of talk, talk to us about your dad, talk to us about that story, and uh, what's, what made you be so passionate about what we do? Absolutely. Um, I was a young financial planner, and my father asked me to help him with the first financial plan that I had done. And Dad was an engineer, worked at a utility company for 40 years, had eight sick days in 40 years, and he was approaching retirement. We put his financial plan together. Uh, We were very fortunate and very blessed, and he unfortunately became ill after he retired. He had retired for about uh, 10 weeks and was diagnosed with Alzheimer's disease. And what I learned from that process with Dad is uh, we needed to do a much better job about what I call values-based financial planning. Uh, The image I always have in my head is he would still come to Thanksgiving because of the planning that we had done. We were able to afford to have a nurse live in the home and uh, come to the home each day to take care of Father. And I just see the whole family sitting around the kitchen table and the dining room table. It's a cold Thanksgiving night. Um, it was important to mom to have dad, you know, wear nice clothes, even though he didn't really understand what was happening because he had lost a lot of his mental faculties and we would have dinner. He'd leave the table. The nurse would take him away from the table. He would have a change of clothes. He would get messy when he eats and bring him back. We'd have dessert. Um, I'd help feed dad. It would be messy again. And then ultimately, uh, he put his pajamas on and was able to sleep in his home give all of his grandkids a kiss goodnight um, on a cold Thanksgiving evening. So that was the first financial plan I'd ever done. So when you think about that, most people would probably just say, gosh, that's just a terrible thing with my dad. But I think you took it and ran with it to a whole other level that's catapulted your career to where you are today to think of the dignity you're leaving behind for people and what you did for your, not only just your dad, but your mom, your, your siblings and family. But like I said, it turned into for you. And I don't, I don't say it from a business opportunity because that's not the way you looked at it, but how you're helping so many other families now preserve dignity. Yep. And that's, that's a good word that you use there because preserving dignity was what really my, uh, my mission statement was for probably 15 years. And there are bad things that happen to people in life. We can never prevent that. But with proper planning, our hope is that they can deal with that on their terms, um, not have to buckle to their knees, and what we would say is preserve dignity. Yeah. So I know uh, lots of people, lots of leaders, they talk about values and people put them on walls and all this kind of stuff. But when I think of Tim Hammett, I think of uh, the three words you say all the time, right? And that's what? Trust, respect, and humility. And he's laughing because in all of our meetings, no matter where we're at, 
I can probably almost verbatim say what he's going to say in meetings because he he talks about the values of trust, respect, and humility so often. So you don't just say those because you live in every relationship around those three values. So if you can help our listeners, what made you or how did you, I would say, go and find those three words and how is it so ingrained to your core that it helps guide every decision you make professionally and personally? Very good question. Uh, I had a business consultant that I had used years ago. Uh, Ted was his name. And he would ask me, you know, how I liked the relationships in my personal life and my professional life at that time. And at many years ago, I don't think they were at the level that I desired. We talked a lot about trust and he would say, well, do people trust you? And that was a very, you know, thought provoking question. He would also say, do people respect you in these relationships. And then he asked the third question. He said, you know, do you trust and respect yourself? And it was a very turning point in my career, very much a turning point. Um, And so what I learned is that, you know, for a foundation in a relationship, I absolutely need to have trust. It needs to be based on respect. And what I'm most drawn to is people who are humble, so humility. I've seen some unbelievably successful people, you know, in the business world, um, in the sports world, in um, in life. And the people that I find most attracted to, that I'm most attracted to, they're unbelievably good at what they do. After I have a conversation with them, uh, they leave me feeling better about myself. You feel confident. Uh, and they're definitely not humble. Or they're definitely not arrogant. Excuse me. Yeah, it's better to be uh, humble, not arrogant. Yeah, got to get that one right. Yes. <laughs> That's right. But so, again, help our listeners. I mean, how do you then – you don't just pick three words out of the air and say, okay, great, trust, respect, humility. Those are our, our things. So how did you ingrain them, engrave them into your core and, and help those be decision makers for you? Um, it took probably about a four-year, a three- or four-year journey for me to be able to learn those and just through – many relationships in my life that were either unfulfilling or relationships in my life that were very fulfilling. And again, Ted, uh, just a wonderful person, worked with me over and over again to refine that. And it's first, it's a feeling. I had a feeling what I liked and what I didn't like. And then I was able to think it. And then ultimately when I could speak it or articulate it, then I was able to really define it. And I think you've, you've mentioned your coach, Ted, a couple times here. And one of my questions for later, but I'll ask it now, was if I'm not mistaken, and it, we kind of joke and laugh about it now, you were paying about what percentage of your income to old coach Ted? Uh, at that time, I had both a mentor and a coach. It was probably um, over 35 to 40% of my yeah, income. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, so you think about that. But for our listeners and people that are watching, I mean, I think you, you have to believe in yourself and you have to have blind faith. Yeah. Is that you were, you were doubling down or quadrupling down on your career path that was not only going to help you in your career, but probably help you in your profession or personal life as well, right? And so Absolutely. when you think about that, you know, you have people that are listening to this and they think about, gosh, I know I probably need to hire a coach or I need to hire a financial advisor. What advice would you give them when you're thinking about, you know, those things aren't free? So what advice would you give for them when they're thinking about, gosh, I want to do this, but it costs a lot of money? I think the first thing I would ask them is, what's the reason behind their change? And I would almost help them or have them define the importance of that change. You know, and after seeing my dad go through what he went through and the toll that took on our family, but also the blessing of how it worked, This was this business consulting, coaching behavior, so I could take that to the marketplace and help all of my clients. So the reason, I guess, the the why was so meaningful to me, I would pay 40% of my income. So the first thing I would say is definitely hire a coach, but before we do that, ask yourself the why and what level of seriousness is that in your life. Yep. And I think another thing I'd like to chat about is just the transparency in relationships. So when you think about your financial planning clients, you think about your personal family, uh, friends, what have you, is how important is transparency? Uh, and let's pinpoint it from a financial planning standpoint right now, but how important is transparency in the relationship? Well, it's everything. I believe the financial planner, our job is to set an environment that is safe uh, for people to be transparent 
And I think to do that, we have to be vulnerable and transparent first. I will always tell people my life story before I ask them theirs. I'll tell them my why and my values. Uh, I think it's key that we have to set that tone. Yeah. So when you also hear the word uh, vulnerability, would you also agree? I mean, transparency, vulnerability, kind of the same thing. But when you hear that word, what comes to mind? Uh, The first one is it can be scary. And it can be very uh, fear-driven. If I'm vulnerable with someone, will they reject me? Will they judge me? Yeah. Probably being judged, Yeah, I bet. Yeah. And I think that's an easy fear for people to have, right, is I don't want to come into my financial planning meeting and and, and be vulnerable and be transparent because maybe you, you haven't saved enough or maybe you have this outside view of what you think, but you, you don't have enough, you know, what is the old big hat, no cattle? Right? That's right. And yep. so you don't want to be big hat, no cattle, but, but at the same time, you got to go and you got to trust and respect that person that you're working with because you're going to give them your most intimate data you can possibly give. So, um when, so let's talk about with clients for a second. One important thing you always talk about is the importance of a team. So why is that so important to you and to your clients? Uh, I think a team is really important because not one professional has the knowledge or the expertise in every area. Yep. Very clearly. So when you think about that, let's talk about that. So let's assume I'm a client of yours or a prospect of yours, and you're going to start that conversation with me. What's my team need to look like, and what, what, what are you looking for as a planner? So I'll have it, I call it a team discussion and I'll ask the client, I'll say many people will have different professionals they deal with. Usually if it's in the banking world, tax world, legal world, investment, insurance world, maybe four or five people on the team. And I'll, I do have a belief that some relationships are more important or longstanding than others. Our assumption is we are not going to come in and expect the client to shift all the relationships I tell them, I said, if we can maybe go one by one, if you can rank the depth of that relationship with the person you deal with, and we'd like to raise our hand if there's a good fit to be interviewed as a member of your team. So I tell them. Yeah. And I think, uh, to switching subjects on team here, but you you hear me say it a thousand times and we hear each other talk all the time, but ADT, ask, don't tell. How important is it to ask great questions? So even for those people that are listening that may not be a financial planner, and you may be in sales or you may be in corporate America, I believe asking questions is much more important versus just telling you, right? I can tell you, here's all the problems you have with your financial planning versus me just asking you some questions and letting you articulate what some of the gaps you may have. Totally would agree. As they say, you know what happens when we assume. Yeah. Yep. That's right. So would you say that asking questions is is critically important to you? And are you doing a lot of that when it comes to sitting down with clients? That'd probably be, you know, 95% of it, you know, as they say, I've heard you say this before, you know, we have, uh, we have two ears, two eyes, and one mouth. That's right. And they would say use them, use them proportionally, proportionally. Right. That's right. Um, so we talked about the team discussions. Uh, we've talked a lot about, you know, having values, all those things, how important they are. We're again with, uh, with president and founder of Visionary Wealth Advisors, Tim Hammett. Uh, Stay with us. When we come back, we're really going to talk about how to take those values and and make those work in a relationship. We're going to talk about his career. We're going to talk about Visionary Wealth Advisors and how that got started and why you think uh, we are where we are today. So stay with us. We'll be right back on the Circuit of Success. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland. And again, I am the CEO and founder of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And again, I'm here with Tim Hammett. Uh, president and founder of Visionary Wealth Advisors. So uh, as we, you know, we call you the hammer. Everybody calls you the hammer. That's right. And so I think uh, I want to dive more into these values because we talked about values-based planning. That's what the goal is today for us to talk about why that's so so important. So you've been doing this 27 years, 26, 27 years, 27 years. So a long time. Um, Talk about the relationships that you have with your clients that maybe when you were a 25, 26, 27-year-old, you know, young guy in this industry versus the relationships you have now, what's the difference between those uh, those two relationships? So my coach had asked me years ago, he said, you know, Tim, tell me about what you do in a normal meeting with a client. And it's very common, you know, we'd, I'd tell him a brief description of the services that we offer, and then it would be asking more statistical-based questions you know, their assets, uh, their income, their age, their home address. I'd walk out of the meeting and maybe half the time the client had an interest in setting a follow-up. Yep. 
And then my coach would say, so what do you think was wrong with that? And he goes, do they trust you? And I would say, well, I don't know. We haven't really gotten to that stage yet. And we would call it in the financial industry, you might call it the chase. So today, the basis of the relationships is talk about values. The belief today is if the initial part of the conversation, what's most important to them could be their family, could be a charity, it could be their church. Um, they could have had a, a relative survive cancer. They might be involved in the American Cancer Society. Whatever that most intimate thing is to them, seek to understand that first, then ask the statistical question second. Yep. And then I believe if we do that correctly, you form trust up front. Um, it's a much different dynamic in the relationship. Yeah. And do you think, too, and I, I know you said this, but just to hit home on this, is before you used to kind of wait to get into those conversations. And I know for me in, in my, even my personal career or personal life, if if I get to a deeper uh, conversation earlier, it, it actually makes the relationship that much stronger, faster, right? Because I think if, if we just kind of want to beat around the bush and talk about yourself and talk about how great you are and how great your firm is, but we're not getting to the point where we're talking about them, right? I always talk about everybody has a Pandora box. Mm-hmm. My job is to open that Pandora's box and, and quite frankly, have a conversation with people that they probably don't have with just about anybody else in the world. And I know that's the things you're doing. So I think don't run from it, right? And I think if I've learned one thing from you, it's, it's feel the fear, face the fear, and do it anyway, right? And so get totally into those agree. conversations with that. So what are your thoughts on that? I would agree because there's different levels of trust and there's different levels of uh, intimacy, you might say. So the quicker you can go through a surface level to more of an intermediate discussion and get to those, they would call them deeper pools of trust or deeper wells of trust, it makes the relationship that much more solid. Um, Sometimes if it's fear that dictates that, you might not ever get to that level of trust. So it could be five or six or seven years in a relationship and never get to that level. Yeah. And you just mentioned the word fear. And as you know, you, we, we talk about it and joke about it all the time, but the fears that Tim Hammond have put in his mind over the years, and I'm sure there's been lots of them, uh, for you and for your clients, how many of the fears you put in your mind have actually blown up to the magnitude you put them in your mind to be? Never. Never. And why do you think that is? Uh, I think my mind can be a very dangerous place to live. Amen. And it it can be very dark. Uh, it can be exaggerated. It's I'll joke with my kids, and they'll see me do this. Sometimes I talk to myself, which is again, it's funny. It's kind right. of embarrassing. And I might have a conversation, uh, I'll role play a conversation I'm going to have later, you know, within the day or the week. That's right. And the kids will say, "Hey, Dad, who are you talking yeah. to?" Oh. And I'm saying, "I'm not talking to anybody." And they said, "No, I saw your lips move. You're you're talking to yourself." And when I do enter the discussion with the person, it's never contentious. It's never anger or, or you know, uh, an anger-driven negative conversation. Never to the degree what I thought it would have been. Right. Um, that's just my mind. The mind is a very dangerous place yeah. to live. I'll exaggerate something well, well beyond what the reality is. Yeah. And I think, too, being around, so talk about the mind being a dangerous place. I know you and I both have this core belief that... I call it the solitary confinement, right? The worst thing, besides the death penalty, the worst thing we can do to people here in America is put them in a room by themselves for 23 hours, right? Kind of a room like this, a padded room by themselves for 23 hours. And I think the more secluded, the more we put ourselves in solitary confinement away from other people, that's not good for our our own relationship boundaries as well, right? So what do you think about that? Well, you're right in the reason I might not disclose to another person if I have a problem, a fear, uh, some concern, some self-doubt, is again, I think I'm going to be judged. Uh, I potentially could become embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And this person would say, well, no, Tim, I've never had those feelings and you really are odd or weird. That's the fear. The reality of it is when I do disclose to someone else, don't go into solitary confinement, don't retreat. The person has had almost the exact same feelings could have had the exact same life experience. Um, they affirm the feelings, they validate the feelings, and then they potentially might be able to give me a solution That's right. to fix it. That's right. So talk about um, the communication. I mean, I think it's so key when we think about, again, I keep talking about our clients and at home and all that kind of stuff, but but you're one, and I mentioned it earlier about feeling the fear and doing it anyway. You're one that kind of goes into it. 
why is it when most of us want to retreat and maybe not have what is perceived to be some potential conflict, you're one to step into it and have crucial conversations. So what advice would you have for people that may be like me? We always joke, right? You're opposite than I am on some things and I'm mm-hmm. opposite than you are on some things, which is great. And But you're one that is willing to get there, have the tough conversation and get it done with. And I learned from that is that it's never as bad as I think it's going to be in my mind, right? But what advice do you have for people that may be like me and want to kind of take the easier road and not have that, that that really tough conversation when you just want to go in and get it done? Yeah, I I think the first thing is if I have that feeling in my gut, and I think everybody knows that it could be, again, a meeting, a discussion, some event that you have to attend, whatever that thing is yeah. that could be fear-driven, you know it's in your gut. And the first thing I would say is articulate it and think, you know what? I'm concerned or I'm fearful about this. So I first have to articulate it. And then I have to think through, well, why am I fearing this? And I can do this in a quiet moment. And then after that, I need to then take action to resolve it. Because the longer I don't, that feeling is going to stay inside me. Could be days or weeks or months. Um, And that's when it gets worse, right? Because our mind is in a bad, bad spot, as we've already said. And then I end up, again, it's just time and time and time again, you speak with the person that you might have had a potential conflict with. They didn't even know it, number one, that there was a conflict. Right. They did not have any issue with me. They might have had a totally unrelated, you know, item going on in their life that was very stressful. Yep. I took it personally, and it had nothing to do with me. Yep. And that's probably over 90%. This one person would say, uh, you know, we need to be more like Teflon, like a cooking pan, right? Anything slides off a Teflon pan. Many people are more like Velcro. Stuff gets stuck to it, right? So I need to be more like Teflon. I like that. I like that. So talk to us about some of your uh, Tim Hammett's passions. I know recently you just got to go to Uganda. You went on a mission trip that was probably life-changing. So tell us a little bit about that and what maybe that's formed into a new passion for you. It has. Uh, my wife and I just started a charity uh, last month, awesome. Casting for Hope. Congratulations. Thank you very much. Um, the purpose behind that is we want to raise money really for two causes. One is for the Crohn's Colitis Association, and the second would be for education funds for children in Africa. I like it. Yeah. So where did that come from? I mean, obviously, you don't just get on a plane and go to Africa and, and things happen. So talk to us about the 23-hour flight, which I told Tim I would have an anxiety attack for those that know me that I haven't flown in three years because of a bad experience. But you jump on a flight, you're 23 hours in a very dangerous spot. Again, feel the fear. Go do it anyway. Uh, I think my advice to you was don't go. <laughs> <laughs> I think that was and true. And that's terrible. And it wasn't because of the people, but it was because of the danger that I put in my mind that never blew up. So, again, I hope people are understanding fears aren't always going to blow up to the magnitude we put in our minds to be. But no. but what, what made that happen? Why there? Well, I had a group of uh, seven friends that were going to travel there to work with youth in Africa. They asked me if I wanted to go, and I had said uh, yes. I have felt called to do that, but never really had had any action steps put in front of me to give me the opportunity to do it. So at that time, I could have either made a decision to say, yep, I'm going to do it, or I could have deferred it. You know, I can make excuses in many parts of my life. So I just said yes to the call, went over there, and uh, these people, the children and the men and women of Uganda were the most probably joyful and loving people I'd ever met mm-hmm. in my life. And these are people that have nothing. And yet, you know, you think of what we all have. Uh, you know, most of the people listen to this show, probably everybody listening to this show, almost every one of those people would probably trade places with us. Absolutely. They, a friend told me that, he said, Hammer, you'll find the people um, in Africa will have very low financial net worth, but an unbelievably high spiritual and joy-filled net worth. And he goes, maybe first world countries, it could be backwards. They could have very high net worth financially, but their emotional reserves uh, are very low. Yep. Just shows you the material stuff doesn't matter, right? No, it doesn't. So Crohn's and colitis, why is that also important to you? My middle son, uh, his name is Drew, and he suffers from ulcerative colitis. Yep. And he has suffered from that for many years. Uh, We had a miracle a few years back. We were slated to have surgery, but... We were unbelievably blessed, and we were considered a miracle. He did not need surgery, uh, but we're highly committed to helping raise money so they can find a cure for that. Awesome. Well, you know, you've got our support and everybody else around Visionary and the whole family. So uh, let's talk about the history of Visionary, if you will. You know, I think uh, 
in my in my world, anniversaries are a big time to sit back and reflect and think. And I go back to the uh, the time frame in early 2014. We start kind of talking, and and this thing just gets pretty serious pretty fast. And now you know, March of 2019, we'll have our fifth anniversary. So Goes just kind of go back in your mind, if you will, and if you can remember that day, we have that first phone call, and then here we are five years later. Thoughts, feelings, just what are your thoughts on that? Well, my first feeling is how unbelievably fortunate and blessed we have been. You know, from the people who have supported us in the community to uh, our wonderful, loving, loyal clients. Our clients have been uh, unbelievably good to us. I think the, you know, the great Jack Bucket said, you know, God, why are you so good to me? Yep. You know, I, I would have to say I feel the exact same way. Um, and then for our team, uh, the uh, associates, employees of Visionary, it's it's been, it's almost a Cinderella story, yeah. I would call it. So I think the biggest objective is we wanted to be able to have control over our culture, you know, our mission and our vision. Yep. And so I think, too, when you think about that, why why is that so important for that businessman or woman listening right now, getting that, you know, quote-unquote control, not because of power, but because of, you know, the worlds we come from, it, it's we want to do, uh, lots of people are doing the right things for their clients, obviously, out there, but I think we want to do just an overall values-based financial planning, and I think from the fiduciary standpoint, you probably hear me on this show talk about the fiduciary standpoint, but fiduciary stands for what? Do the right thing for the people. Absolutely. And there's no conflict of interest. So why was that so important? Because you're very passionate about that. Why was that so important to you? I think when we work with a client, I again, go back to my, my parents, my mother and father, they were very impactful, you know, in my professional life. My first question would be, are we going to make a recommendation to a client? Would you make that same recommendation to your mother or your father? And, you know, I've got a wonderful picture of my mom uh, in my office, and she was one of my best friends. And we trained advisors that if we wouldn't make that recommendation, uh, your moral obligation is you can't do that. And so I don't want any outside institution to have any ownership, which could dictate maybe a a conflict of interest. If there's a product or a service to offer, we don't. It's 100% independent. And that was, you know... My wife asked me a question when we started the firm. It's very scary. It is fearful. You know, it's, it's a new business operation. And the question was, you know, can we guarantee that this is going to be successful? No business owner can guarantee right. that. And I laughed and I said, no, I don't think I can. But it's more important to be able to control the culture and the vision and the mission. Yep. That's what's most important yep. for the clients. Yeah. I think my wife uh, said, is this the right time? I said, no. It's a terrible time, right? <laughs> she was eight months pregnant with our fourth child. I we remember were getting that. Ready to move, or we had just moved in about a year and a couple months before that in our new home we built. Uh, so I think, you know, again, controlling your future, your destiny, uh, the timing is never right. The fears never blow up to the portion we put in our minds to be all of those things, right? And so... Couldn't be more proud to be doing it with you. It's been awesome having you on uh, this episode of The Circuit of Success. Uh, where can our listeners find more of Tim Hammett? Uh, they can find Tim Hammett at uh, www.visionarywealthadvisors.com. Boom, there he is, visionarywealthadvisors.com. You can also find him at tim.hammett, H-A-M-M-E-T-T, at vwa-llc.net. That's right. He is a .net guy. Yeah, uh, I'm a .com guy. He's a .net guy. Uh, but anyway, Tim, it's been awesome having you, man. Thanks Love being on your show, here. Brett. All right. Bye-bye. Welcome to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, and today I'm excited. We've got one of our own from Visionary Wealth Advisors. We have Mike Clark, Senior Wealth Advisor. Mike, how you doing? I'm doing well, Brett. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks for having me. It's good to be with you. I know you just got back from a nice uh, trip to Colorado. How was Colorado? Colorado was great. We uh, went to Breckenridge, second time skiing with a couple other families, and everyone had a great time. And no, uh, I can't see your ankles or anything, but there's no cast or anything. No, all limbs are intact. I like it. I like it. Well, we're here today. uh, Again, this is Brett Gilliland, your host, uh, CEO and founder of Visionary Wealth Advisors, and we're with Mike Clark, Senior Wealth Advisor for Visionary Wealth Advisors. And uh, we're going to talk about comprehensive wealth management today. But, you know, Mike, I know you've been in the business for, what, 16, 17 years, and uh, you've seen a lot of stuff. I mean, you've seen it from from knocking on doors to uh, sitting down and having the comprehensive wealth management discussion with your clients. But 
you, you're a guy that I know in our firm. You are you are very 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 passionate about what we do. And so I, if I would like to start with that, really, is what what's made you so passionate about doing what we do? Because not everybody can be as passionate as you are. Yeah, I, I don't know uh, exactly what it is. I think it has a little bit to do with how I grew up. Uh, I grew up in little Pacific, Missouri, not with a, a ton of money. And uh, for whatever reason, that left a, a chip on my shoulder and uh, one that I like to think that I use that insecurity for, for a positive reason. Yeah. Well, I think it absolutely is because I think when you look at your clients and the things that you do for them and how much you care about them, I would think that they would look at that and say they know you're loving on them, right? And that's very, very important. So again, today we're going to talk about comprehensive wealth management. And what I'd like to know just first is I would just ask you that question. What is comprehensive wealth management? So comprehensive wealth management is, uh, it really begins with the deep understanding of our clients' goals, uh, both short-term and long-term. Uh, which includes a prioritization of what those goals are. And it just includes thoroughly reviewing all facets of their finances, whether it be through uh, college planning, if they have children, tax management, estate planning, retirement goals, risk management, looking at their debt as well as their assets, uh, insurance, family dynamics, and then lastly, their psychology, kind of what makes them tick. Yeah, I think when you when you think about that, why is it so important? Because everything you just mentioned there is is obviously critically important for their financial plan. But I think personally, the psychology behind that is very very important. So why is it important to know what makes our clients tick? Yeah, you and I agree uh, tremendously that it is very important, and really everyone's different. Um, we don't uh, not everyone makes decisions based solely off of math. Uh, so it's very important to understand what makes a person tick. I can, I can show stats, I can show long-term statistics all day long as to why something makes sense, but if it doesn't jive uh, with that client, then it's not going to ultimately make sense for that client. Yeah. Uh, it's important for us to understand kind of what they're saying and what they're not saying. So you've seen uh, what I would like to call product sellers. You've seen people, one trick pony, you know, maybe you ask questions and everything they go to, this product happens to be the answer. Isn't that ironic, right? And so right. when you think about that, what, what sets you apart uh, from individuals that are the one trick ponies uh, versus what you do for clients? Whenever clients, uh, whenever I have a meeting with clients, I don't have a, a predisposed idea of how it's going to go down. The idea is to listen to them, understand what it is that they want and what they want to achieve. And, and at that point, then we can start devising a plan on what's best to achieve it. It might be insurance. It might be investing. It might be paying off their debt as soon as possible. It just depends. So, um, you know, I have some topics typically in a meeting that I know I want to go over, but certainly make sure that uh, we address the client's uh, needs first and make sure that we kind of, uh, the direction of the meeting goes the f way of which they want it to. Yeah, and I think, too, in today's world, I'm sure you're, uh, you're obviously very aware, but people are extremely busy, right? And you help people, what I call, slow down to speed up. And so I'll see in the office people being coming in, parading through, go to the conference room, meet you. It, how do you get people to slow down? So those those of our listeners that are like, yeah, but I'm busy and blah, 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 right? Whatever it may be. How do you get people to slow down and take this stuff serious? I think that uh, I think it's a partnership and, and everyone's busy, as you had stated. Uh, everyone has, uh, you know, if you have kids, everyone's in various activities. If you don't have kids, you have grandkids, you're going to all their activities. Really, they want a financial advisor that they trust that can help them achieve their goals. So it's our job to not just uh, be proactive for them in, in preparing this plan, but also helping them recognize what potholes down the road that they should be recognizing or that they should be looking at that maybe they're not paying attention to. And so when you think about the independence that you have, uh, you know, through Visionary Wealth Advisors, you are an independent wealth management advisor. Why is that, and we touched on this a little bit ago, but why is that so important for clients to understand about your true independence? I think independence is key in this industry. Uh, the reality is money is what makes the world go round. Uh, and if I'm, if I'm compensated more for recommending product A over product B, it's only natural that I'm going to be more inclined to, to recommend product A. So to be in a position to where you can alleviate all conflicts of, of goal, uh, conflicts of interest, I'm sorry, uh, as much as you possibly can, I think is critical. To have the ability to recommend as many options as possible gives you a higher probability of success for your clients. 
Yeah, and so when you think about your money management philosophy, what would you say if, if somebody said, "Mike, I got to know," and and I want you to elaborate more than twenty seconds, but you're at, you know you're at a cocktail party and said, "What are the two or three or four most critically important things for me to do for my financial planning?" What would your philosophy say? I think it's important for individuals to adhere to their own goals, to be cognizant of again of what makes them tick. Uh, If you're conservative in nature, don't get aggressive simply because someone told you that it's the thing to do, because if it goes south, uh, you're not likely to make the best decision when you are emotional. Um, And I think that that's key. I think too many times at at parties, everyone likes to tout their one stock that does well, but rarely do people talk about the two or three or four or five that don't do well. So uh, for lack of better terms, stay in your lane, focus on your goals, focus on what's important to you and don't let others uh, dictate uh, what you do. Yeah. And so when you think about that, I'm assuming transparency, vulnerability plays a big role in that? Without a doubt. It's important for us to be uh, transparent as a fiduciary. We need to be transparent. Uh, We need to uh, it, it's nice for clients to appreciate and to trust us, but it's still very important that we educate them on what exactly that we're doing. Not that they're going to necessarily comprehend everything, although most of our most of my clients do. It's that they we put them in a position to know that we're looking out for their best interest, and, and knowledge is a big part of that. Yeah, and so I know this will be a tough question for you to answer because you're not going to sit here and talk about how great you are, but what makes Mike Clark different? I think genuinely caring. I think that's the one thing is is genuinely caring, having a passion that some might say is to a fault at times, um, and and just reviewing everything. You know, just as an example, I had a client a couple weeks ago that donates uh, ten thousand dollars a year to their charity with a recent increase in standardized deductions. Uh, it, they're not getting a deduction for that. So we talked about putting fifty thousand dollars in a donor advised fund which gives them that $50,000 deduction all in one year, plus a $10,000 SALT cap, uh, and allows them to hand out that money to the charities that they love in whatever time frame that they want. So it allows them to give as they've always given, but now give a, get a tax break for it. And that's just an example of really trying to focus on what the client truly wants. Yeah, and I think that is you, though, slowing down as well and not just going to the meeting and just winging it. That's, that's you understanding it. You're a student of the game. You, I mean, you read as much as anybody I know about our industry. And so I think that's important for people to understand is it's not just go to an advisor and, oh, yeah, this investment works. It, it, it does or it doesn't. But it's all the ancillary things we do around that. Wouldn't you agree? I would agree 100%. It's, it's certainly not a one-size-fits-all. At least it should not be. Uh, but also, I have a great team with me, with Lisa Vorse and Diane uh, Gelderman, that do a great job supporting our clients. So without them, I wouldn't be able to support them nearly as strongly as we do. So if I'm coming to you, what, what should I expect? Like, what's that process like? I know I've got a meeting today at, say, 2 o'clock with Mike Clark. What's the expectation? What do I need to come with uh, prepared for the meeting? Really, for the first meeting, I, I have a tendency to prefer clients don't come with anything. I should say uh, individuals who are thinking about becoming a client. That first meeting, I prefer just to be a conversation. It's a fact-finding mission for both of us. It's an opportunity for them to get to know as much about me, visionary, and what it is that we represent. It's also an opportunity for me to get to know uh, as much as I can about them, to A, see if it, it would be a good fit for them to be a client, and to see how exactly they're wanting us to help them. So when you look at clients right now, and obviously the market down in, 08, in, uh, in uh, that as well, but in 2018 and, and what they can expect for 2019, where, where are you seeing most clients, and I don't want to call it mistakes or failures, but more, where's their biggest opportunity right now? I don't know about opportunity. I, I would say that we try to do a good job of preparing clients for the negative volatility that we endured in 2018. Um, you know, prior to February of 18, we hadn't had a 10% correction in, in 30 months, and we averaged one about every 16 months. Um, I think the, the one thing that people need to do is, is not get emotional. I, I think that would be the one thing that answers your question, is that we live in a world where news is constantly thrown at us. Uh, and unfortunately, that news is always short-sighted. It's always focused on, on the now, and it's really hard to see the forest through the trees. So I think it's important for individuals to not get wrapped up in in the media uh, and in the emotion that the media uh, provides. Yeah, and I think the difference between that is is that you know you have accountability. 
whereas people in the media do not. Because at the end of the day, you get fired from a client. They have no accountability because all they're trying to do is make and sell headlines, right? No, that's a great point. Uh, you know, their job is to provide news, but they also are fully aware that the more eyeballs that are on their screen, uh, or, or the more money they're going to make from from selling the ads. That's right. So it's a little bit of a conflict of interest. Uh, and uh, unfortunately, that's just the society that we're in today. So I'm going to talk a little bit about philosophy with you, if we can, for a minute. And so when you think about saving money, I know most people listening to this understand the importance of that, but you can never save too much money. So do you have a philosophy or, or a conversation you have with your clients or prospects about just saving money? Uh, first off, I, I would say, and, and I know that you agree with me on this, I think you actually can save too much money. I think that it's our job as, a, as an advisor, as an industry, to try to focus more on quality of life, return on life, as opposed to just return at the end of the rainbow, so to speak. Um, so my philosophy is, is nothing more than to have a comprehensive plan and to save enough to achieve it and to not oversave because the reality is you don't know how long you're going to live. And I know a lot of, some individuals don't think of it like this, but Brett, you and I have clients that have done a tremendous job of saving over the years, but they don't really enjoy life to the fullest now. And I think it's very important for them to go on vacation, to spend time with their family and friends, uh, and to not just focus 100% on the later. Yeah. No, I couldn't agree more. I mean, that that balance of life, because... Yeah, you see the people that save, 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 and then all of a sudden they get sick and it doesn't matter how much money they have. No. You can't buy that back. But creating experiences. So while we're doing that, let's talk about experiences uh, for you. I know one one experience you like is to give money uh, to charity. So talk to us about some of the passions that you have and why it's important from a client standpoint, but just for who Mike Clark is as uh, as a wealth management advisor with Visionary Wealth Advisors, what are some of your passions? Well, first off, I'd say that uh, one of the one of the things that attracted me to to Visionary the most was that you have uh, Swing for Hope as your charity, and you give a tremendous back, tremendous amount back to cancer. Not just you. I'm going to throw a, a little <laughs> bit in for Julie, your exactly. wife. She also mostly did, her, mostly right. her. Uh, um, but also, uh, you know, Chad Opal up in Edwardsville yeah. has Edwardsville uh, neighbors in need. So I think it's very important for us, uh, for those that are successful in life, to give back. Um, We're fortunate. Now it's also through hard work and determination, but I also think it's just very important to give back. One of my passions is mental health. Um, I always joke that uh, our job, I'm kind of a wannabe psychologist, that if I talk to uh, young individuals who want to be an advisor, I tell them to double major in psychology and finance. Mental health is just very important to me because it's rarely talked about in our society. So there's a tremendous organization in O'Fallon, Illinois, called Carla Smith Behavioral Health Foundation. That's certainly uh, one charity and one purpose that I'm very um, passionate about. But overall, just giving back to the community. I remember about a week before uh, I made the decision to join Visionary, we were celebrating some friends' 40th birthday down in Nashville, we were at a brewery, and you don't expect to get a lot of inspiration from a from a brewery, <laughs> but we, there, they had a big uh, blackboard, and they talked about every month they donated a portion of the revenue to a charity. It was Jackalope Brewery, to be specific. Uh, and every month that changed, and I thought it was very cool that they highlighted that charity, that they described the charity, and most importantly, that they were giving back. So at that point, I made a, a promise to myself that I was going to donate a portion of revenue uh, back to the community. So every quarter, I make a decision of which uh, local charity I'm going to be giving back to. Yeah, and that's big because so many people don't, you don't have to do that, right? No. But uh, you certainly do it. And I heard a quote, I was early in the business, and it said, when you take a living from a community, you must give back from a community. And that's exactly what you're doing. So hats off to you for that. And I know you have a trip coming up as well. I do, I do. Uh, uh, Brace for Impact 46, uh, Kyle McClellan and his wife Bridget, who I know that you know because yeah. you're on the board for Brace for Impact, uh, we're going to Haiti on January 31st. So this is the first time for me doing anything like this. Uh, it's an amazing opportunity to give back to some that are literally the poorest in the world. I will tell you it has some uh, 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 personal reasons for doing it, and that is it's an opportunity to, to give myself a little bit of perspective. I think that 
we have a tendency to get lost in our own bubble and uh, complain about things that if we were to take a step back and recognize how fortunate we are, uh, we wouldn't complain about it as much. So there are some selfish reasons for going, but uh, I'm very much looking forward to the opportunity to give to, back to Haiti. Well, if, if if selfish is going and giving back to people, then that's uh, then that's just fine because you're doing a good job of that stuff. Kyle always tells me I, once I get over this no flying thing that I'm going to have to be on the first flight down there because uh, I want to. I want to, to your point, as yeah. a perspective, and, and maybe as my kids get older, I can go down there with them once a year or something. So I always thought that would be cool. So um, let's talk about, again, back to the clients. I mean, you're serving a lot of great people. Um, you, you, you work with a lot of people that are retired. So those people that are maybe listening, what are you finding from a psychology standpoint, since we both love talking about that stuff, what's, what's the number one thing you're seeing from somebody that doesn't have that paycheck coming in anymore? That, that's, that's emotionally, that's really, really tough, right? It's, it's hard. It's hard. You know, we save our entire life for the future. And to go from saving f- for the future to being at that point to where you're pulling money from it. And it's funny that sometimes clients don't want to pull money from from their assets, but I kind of chuckle at them and tell them that's the whole darn reason why they've been saving their entire life. So it's very, we're, we're creatures of habit. Uh, and once you retire, you're in a whole new world that you've never been in before. So it's only natural that you're going to become uncomfortable, uh, that you're going to be fearful, that you're going to be concerned. And I think that it's human nature that we seek out information that feeds whatever it is that we're thinking. If we're positive, we have a tendency to feed information, uh, seek out information that feeds that positivity. And unfortunately for retirees, especially two years into, uh, I'm sorry, two years before retirement and two years after, that kind of four to five year window, individuals have a tendency to uh, absorb more information than they've ever absorbed because they recognize Uh, how important that decision is. And while the meaning is there and that meaning is good, it can it can have a hindrance because uh, as we talked about earlier the media media has a tendency to be negative so it can feed those fears and and make us be fearful of something that uh, they truly should not be concerned about so you're listening to the circuit of success with brett gilliland and uh, we have mike clark uh, senior wealth advisor with visionary wealth advisors on with us today we've talked a lot about just the, the comprehensive wealth management side, the psychology behind that. And uh, when we come back from break, we're going to talk about the kind of Mike's expectations and thoughts for the market and what people could be doing and maybe where they're making some mistakes. So stay with us on the Circuit of Success. Welcome back to the Circuit of Success. I'm your host, Brett Gilliland, founder and CEO of Visionary Wealth Advisors. And I'm uh, joined today with uh, Mike Clark, Senior Wealth Advisor, with Visionary Wealth Advisors. I say that a lot, don't I? A lot of advisors in there. Advisors. Visionary Wealth Advisors. <laughs> I just say it just because. Because we can. Um, so we've talked a lot today, Mike, about the psychology, about comprehensive financial planning, uh, really the emotions behind you know clients maybe not having a, a paycheck anymore that have been retired. But what I want to talk to you about today is those same individuals. I know we get those phone calls, especially like in the December of 18, the market's going down and uh, they don't have that income coming anymore. But what are the mistakes that you're seeing investors make out there that really that, that you help your clients shy away from making those same mistakes? So I think the the main job of an advisor, and this is a crude way of looking at it, but in reference to their investments, is to help, is to keep people from help, from hurting themselves, yeah. if that makes sense. Absolutely. Um, we have a, ten, a tendency to want to buy when we feel excited and euphoric, which is always after the markets went up. And we have a tendency to want to sell to what we believe to be to alleviate the pain. And that's obviously always after the market's gone down. We all know to do the opposite, um, but the reality is emotion takes over, our heart takes over, uh, and and we just do what we're not uh, supposed to do. Yeah. So when you think about that, what's what's maybe a question that you've you've had in the in your experience of help clients get off the emotional roller coaster and and stay grounded and stay uh, invested in the market? Well, first, it's important for your allocation to adhere to your risk tolerance. Um, and when you when you endure volatility, it's a it's a great uh, it's a great way to see whether or not that is true. If you're upset because your portfolio goes down 5%, then your expectations are just too uh, too high. The market averages a 5% pullback five times a year. 
The market averages a 10% pullback about every 16 months. Those things are normal, uh, and it's our job to help clients understand that really what they're concerned about is the next recession. We all know that this is the longest bull market our country's ever seen. Everyone knows that. It's all over the airwaves, all over the TV. So everyone's trying to predict uh, the next recession, and, and it's making the market volatile. It's making individuals emotional. Yeah. So when you think about risk, are you, uh, you said that just a little bit ago, but are, do you see that most clients risk uh, with what they should be taking or based on how they feel? Do you believe they're taking the right amount of risk or some may, may be taking too much and, or some not enough? What are you finding out there? Because I know you use a tool that really helps people think differently about risk that they may not even know they're doing. Yeah. So I think for me and my clients, most of my clients have been with me for five, six, seven, ten years. So I like to think that my clients are, uh, their risk to- the risk of their allocation is appropriate for them. But every once in a while, you do have individuals that you recognize that their risk tolerance has changed. And that's natural. It's human nature that as we get older, we become more concerned. Uh, not tr- being a little silly, but we all become that grumpy old man at some point, and we worry about the negative things a little bit too much. Um, the best position that any investor can be in is to put themselves in a position to where during retirement, they can take the risk that they're comfortable taking. And what I mean by, by that is that the performance, whether or not they average 3% or average 9% or anything in between, uh, is not a, a determining factor in their success that they're going to achieve their retirement goals regardless. but that So that allows them to take the risk that they're comfortable taking. Yeah. So if I want to find more of Mike Clark, where do I find uh, Mr. Mike Clark? Well, you can always reach me at, at the office at 618-726-3011. Uh, you can also reach me on my website, which I believe is Mike Clark, <laughs> visionarywealthadvisors.com. Uh, and I'm in the O'Fallon, Illinois office, but but serving clients really within a four-mile radius. Yeah, I like it. I like it. I'm well, sorry, four-hour radius, four not hours, four miles. Four miles. Man, I didn't four know miles, you were that yeah, big of a niche. Yeah. <laughs> I only like to walk to my meetings. Yeah, exactly. Right? Exactly. Well, Mike, it's been awesome having you today. I know you do a great job serving your clients. And uh, for those individuals that can't already tell today, this guy means uh, he means what he says. He's, he's intense with his clients. And I mean that in a, in a positive, intense way is because he cares and he gets the job done and he puts in the hours and works on behalf of his clients. So on behalf, behalf of Visionary Wealth Advisors, Mike, we thank you for all the work you do. And thanks for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This podcast was a presentation of lineupmedia.fm.